Hello, everyone. We're so happy to have you back with us at Commitment Matters. We're hosting another important topic today with another extremely knowledgeable guest. It's a good one for your business. It's timely, so you'll need to be thinking about it. Today, it's all about your data. In some cases, it's an asset your company owns. In other scenarios, it's the property of the consumer that you need to safeguard unless you get explicit and written opt-in permission from each consumer to share it. Still other times, a lender might view at least the borrower's data as something that they, the lender, own, which might require a different mindset and posture in how you handle it. It's a very big topic in nearly every marketplace today, data privacy. As an individual, you might make certain trade-offs for allowing sharing of your data in exchange for a discount or free shipping or maybe a tailored customer service experience. That's one type of consideration when you're talking about your own data. But in our industry, we're the custodians of hundreds of millions of pieces of other people's data, which, like handling other people's money, requires a higher standard of care. And data privacy is a little bit different than data security. We aren't talking here about hacks and ransomware or security breaches. We're talking about data leaking out your door during the normal course of everyday business activities. Like data security, data privacy can mean significant financial and reputational damage exposure to your business. And since it's an emerging topic, you know we're gonna cover it here for you. So today you'll be hearing from a true expert in the field, Steve Jaden. Steve is a Senior Vice President and Chief Privacy Officer for Old Republic National Title Insurance Company. Steve has nearly 40 years experience with state and national compliance issues in the title and settlement industry. So suffice to say, he knows what he's talking about. He is a past president of the California Land Title Association, where he is currently a board member and its former legislative chair. He's also active nationally on the subject of privacy within the American Land Title Association. Folks, we have 22 states working on data privacy legislation, so it needs to be on your radar screen. It's also a topic being discussed federally. You might have seen references to data privacy appearing in your lender instructions, and there might be some provisions lurking in vendor contracts that need your awareness and attention. Given all of this, it's time to call in an expert. He's here to talk about your data and to help keep you from having a data problem. Please enjoy my conversation with the very engaging Steve Jaden. Steve Jaden, welcome to Commitment Matters. Hey, good afternoon, Mary. It's such a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, you're here to talk all about data. It's privacy, it's protection, it's the stewardship of it. For starters, why are you here to talk about that? I think data plays a huge role in our life, more so today than, than in the past with a lot of the privacy laws, consumer data. We're all very familiar as title agents dealing with title data and how important that is and how important it is to protect. What's changing in the landscape regarding consumer privacy and consumer data is just as critical as how we protect our title data. The protections around that, how we manage that, how we secure that, how we disclose to the consumer what we do, that's really the landscape change, and it's evolving, and we all need to pay attention. And is this something that, is there like a national 
privacy landscape or is it individual state by state thing? Help people get a picture of that if you would. No, that's a really good question, Mary. I'm, I can tell you, I work very closely with the American Land Title Association and the US Chamber of Commerce regarding privacy at a state level and at a federal level. We would love to have a federal law in place talking about data privacy because we don't today. I mean, we have Gramm-Leach-Bliley, as you all know, back from 1999. So there's some national federal data protection for those in the financial services, which we are. But right now, we're looking at a patchwork of state privacy laws, the first one being California. And there's a whole host of things going on there. But federal is where we'd like to be, and federal is not where it's really happening today. It's not there yet. So now we have to pay attention to what's going on state by state. And, and you are f- from California. You've been on the front line of, of their initiative. And, and for a time, it looked like maybe the California model, which I'd like for you to talk about that in and of itself, but it, it looked like that was maybe going to be the model that other states would follow. Is that still kind of the case or is it looking different? Another good observation, Mary. I can tell you, California was looking to be the model. They were the first state to put in a state privacy law, and it's evolved. It was revised again through another proposition, bringing even some more complexity. But one of the things that isn't, there's a few things in California that weren't as ideal as we see now in Virginia and Colorado, where their privacy laws have really addressed Things that are critical to our industry. And moments ago, I mentioned the Gramm-Leach-Bliley Act, the privacy law we all, we give a privacy notice to our consumers back from 1999. And that really tells a consumer, this is the data that we collect. This is what we do with it. And if there's affiliated businesses and things like that, that you may share, you, you disclose that. All coming from the 90s where consumers are very concerned about their privacy. And if you're dialing back a little bit in time, that's also before social media was out there, where now we have all the consumers were very concerned about their data. And now consumers put the most intimate things out for everybody to see. Voluntarily, right? Voluntarily. And so because of all of that, these privacy laws have begun to evolve. And they're mostly focused on big tech. They're not focused on the title industry. However, because of what we do and where we play, we're subject to these laws. So California was the first state. There's some complications there. We talk about Virginia and Colorado being a better model. When Colorado and Virginia looked at their language in the statute relating to the financial services industry and Gramm-Leach-Bliley, those laws have a full Gramm-Leach-Bliley entity level carve-out. So in other words, if you're complying with those types of laws today, which we are as an industry, then you kind of get a pass as far as some of those other components. California is not quite as bright line on GOBA entity level. They're more on some GOBA data, which I don't want to bore everybody to death, but it is not the model. And Colorado and Virginia have been the ones that other states are now trying to mirror. And it's a much, much better course of action. When I got this last update, by the afternoon, another state had actually initiated their privacy bill, and that was Utah. 
The very cool thing for our industry in Utah is it has very little impact on us. So that's a, that's a good thing. Indiana, Wisconsin, Nebraska also look like they might not end up becoming law. But these other states, we still have to carefully watch. And there's a lot of due diligence from the American Land Title Association and their efforts that are getting communicated out there. But you really need to be thinking about this, knowing that these state privacy laws, they're coming to a theater near you. They are going to impact you at some level. And so right now, agents give out a copy of a privacy policy, probably their own and their underwriters. Is that going to continue to suffice as, as these things roll on and become law? Or are we going to have to change? What do you, you think is going on there? Absolutely. The privacy notice that we provide today under Gramm-Leach-Bliley, that's not going anywhere. And so we need to continue to do that. In a state like California, which is actually the only one that's active right now. So I mentioned Virginia, Colorado. Those become operative in January 1, 2023. And Utah, I believe, was this July. But once again, that has very little impact. But in California, as an example, for any any one of our agents that may be subject to the, what is CCPA, the California Consumer Privacy Act, there are notices that have to be provided that are very, very different. So it's an additional notice that would go out with a commitment, or in California, it's called a preliminary report. And there's things that need to be posted on your, on your website. So those are things that we need to be very, very mindful of, and you need to be deeply looking at as an agent, depending on where you're operating. Well, believe it or not, we have a lot of listeners in Kansas. And so if I'm a title agent sitting in Kansas, do I need to care about California's law? Or because I'm not domiciled in Kansas, it doesn't pertain to me? So once again, a very good question. And I think there's a couple of things that we all need to be considerate of. When we look at California, and now we have three other states and more other states coming. All of these laws that are on the books or will be on the books, talk about how you manage your data. And they all have requirements. In order for you to come up with some disclosure, you need to understand where your data is and whose data is it and how you collect it and how you protect it. So the data in, in your systems, where is that residing? How are you collecting it? Are you working with third-party vendors that then pass you certain data? You need to look at those terms and conditions. There's a lot of little things you need to look at to make sure that you're doing the right thing. But Mary, back to your example of Kansas. One of the other things that we're finding, we all are subject to market conduct exams or some other regulator or a lender exam. The questions regarding how you manage your data, where your data is, how you classify it, and all of that. Those are coming from all sorts of sectors outside of just having a state privacy law in place. So you really need to be very forward thinking about this to make sure that when those questions get asked, you have an answer. Well, and you mentioned the lenders. I'd like to talk about what their perspective is with regard to their borrower's data. What's their view? Whose data do they think it is? Do they think it's theirs? Do they think it's title agents? Do they think it's the consumer's own to opt in or out of what they want? What's their view on that? Because we always try to help our listeners who are predominantly title and settlement agents understand what's in the mindset of their lender. So I'd love for you to speak of that if you could. 
Oh, you bet. And certainly lenders, and some of them do this in writing, some of it's contractual, some of it's just the way they communicate in their closing instructions. But lenders often think that the consumer data is theirs. They don't realize that we're issuing a policy and we're issuing a title policy. And we have our own rules to follow as far as how we retain that data and whose it is. Understanding who owns the data from a lender's perspective is something that we need to be very, very careful of and you need to be thoughtful. But generally a lender is going to think they brought the client to the settlement provider. It's their client when in fact it's our client. If there's a complaint associated with the transaction or anything, who's the lender going to ask about whether the, if the settlement was done right or if there's an issue with you know, how the funds came in or whatever? It's all going to be on our agents. And all of a sudden, the lender's going to have that mindset that the consumer is our problem. And it's, it's a little tough to cut that both ways. But when it comes to the privacy, how we manage these things, those customers are our customers. And it's something that I think not everybody thinks about. But I'm glad you asked the question, Mary. There's some phrasing that we're hearing out there that talks about common sense data sharing. What do people mean when they, when they say that? It's a confusing term. You know, what's common sense, what's reasonable, all of those things. They're a little ambiguous, and those certainly aren't legal terms. So common sense should be you should manage data like you would how you'd like your data handled. It's a little bit of that golden rule type thing. There should be common sense. But when, when you get into data handling and things like that, a regulator's not going to ask you common sense questions. They're going to ask you, how is your data classified? What's sensitive? What's restricted? What's public? Do you know that? You know, we all deal with public records. And public record data, that's public. But then we'll get a social security number on a transaction to do the settlement side. And that's obviously extremely you know, sensitive or restricted depending on the words you're using in your policies. And then you need to know where is that data in your system? What servers are they stored on? Are they stored on a server? Is everything in the cloud? You have to be able to answer those questions when somebody comes knocking at your door. And then as far as what you do with that data. So you've classified it. That's very important, whether it's public or whether it's sensitive or whether it's restricted, depending on your terms and your policy. Oh, and by the way, if I didn't mention, you should have a data classification policy. These things are all things that auditors look for, as we mentioned back to the Kansas scenario. Though Kansas might not specifically have a requirement, an auditor may be asking these questions. And then lastly, where that data is, is how you store it. Is it encrypted? Encryption is extremely critical. And there's different levels of encryption and encryption keys. And I'm not an IT security person. Obviously, I work closely with IT security folks. But the encryption, understanding where your data, it's also important. And though we're not going to get into that, this would be another topic you hear about ransomware, it's in the news. You hear about all the Russian threat actors, certainly in our environment right now. This is very, very real. So when we talk about data privacy and what these laws may be, there's a lot of other reasons why you should have these basic fundamentals in place because something bad could happen. You knock on wood, it doesn't. But you're going you're gonna to be asked questions 
by somebody. And you're going to need to be able to have these answers. Hopefully, did that answer the question, Mary? It sure did. I mean, handling and security are both very, very important. And then also beyond security and safety, you know, I've heard you talk about data as an asset. And so you can get everything sort of in the back room on the IT side of things and train your people about, you know, phishing attempts and spear phishing and spoofed calls and and all of that around data security. But there are also some agents I know who are sitting out there that have the back room all safe and secure and tidy and everything's the way it's supposed to be. And they're inadvertently letting go of data out the front door in some of their contracts with service providers. In California, in the privacy law, and that particular component does seem to be spreading, there's a business-to-business carve-out. So where Mary's kind of going when we're working with third parties, we all work with third parties. I mean, third parties and notary is an example, right? Or it could be a software provider that we're using for something. So... Holistically, there's usually a business-to-business waiver exclusion at a transaction perspective in order to perform that particular transaction. What you have to be very, very careful of when you're talking about consumer data and you're passing it to a third party, one of your vendors, whoever it happens to be, what is their data procedure? Have you actually gotten a questionnaire from them confirming that When they have data, it's secure. That's one part. There's a lot of different ways, you know, SOC 2, Type 2, different levels on on the IT technical side. But an awful lot of these companies also have agreements in place that you you sign up and I want to use this particular service. And then there's details in the agreement, whether it's in a written form which would be the best because then you can just kind of read it and understand. So there may be a confidentiality provision as an example. And in that confidentiality provision, it says, oh, and by the way, all the consumer data you give us, it's ours. Those are things that are not really good because we talk about data is key. Data is yours. Your data, your customer data needs to be yours. You get concerns regarding the lenders and how they look at this. But if there's third-party vendor agreements out there, and many of these third-party platforms also have their terms and conditions online. So you don't have a PDF, you don't have a Word doc that you can kind of go through and maybe communicate back and forth with the various legal bagels to make some provision changes. But it's online and you just kind of scroll through it and hit I agree. And there's no option to really edit. You just I agree or I don't. Those are really important to read. And I know we're all guilty, especially on our own, right? We have little apps on our phones that, you know, we, we download and we agree. We never read that stuff. You're running a business on the business stuff. You got to pay attention. It's not a little word scrabble app on your iPhone. There's real stuff dealing with your data. Well, and we don't have the right to give that consumer data away to someone else, right? Correct. And... This is where some of the other things we've talked about over the years, Mary, are internet privacy policies and what you have on your your website. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about that some more. So if you elect to do this, you have to have a lot of disclosures and protections and things like that on your website telling consumers you're selling their data, as an example. 
Because when we get back to California, Colorado, Virginia, all of these privacy laws are really, once again, about big tech and data brokers and people that sell consumer data. That isn't what we do as an industry. We're in the title industry. It's complicated, and we all know that. That's why we do what we do, and we do it really well. But consumers don't always understand that. But if there was a title agent out there that decided they wanted to become a data broker, that all changes. And then you need to be very, very careful that you're not working with a vendor whose underlying business opportunity is being a data broker for consumer data and letting the keys to the kingdom out the door and opening up risk. Well, let me ask you, do you think that there are people listening to this who inadvertently have entered into contracts with a service provider that has essentially put them in the position of being a data broker, whether or not they're getting paid for sharing that data? Do you think if people go look at their contracts, they're going to be surprised to find some of that language in there? I do think it's always important to go back and look at your agreements. And you should do that probably on an annual basis, some periodic basis, and relook at this stuff. Because, I mean, everything's a moving target in a different landscape. And one of the other things, if you relook at something like that and you find something that you don't like with one of your vendors, you need to address it. And if there's something going on and there aren't disclosures in place, I mean, you don't want to put your business at risk. But I, I think it's important, just as a regular business practice, you look at those vendor contracts, you read them, you don't rely on just engaging a service provider that you're using with whether their terms and conditions are just online. You're great, great business folks, you do a tremendous job, and this is just one that you need to give a little extra attention to if you haven't. I like to build an action list for people. So there's action number one, review all of your contracts with basically everybody and anybody, right? I mean, is this like the Friday the 13th memo of banks telling settlement agents we're going to need fourth party oversight of like your cleaning people? I mean, not a cleaning person contract's going to have data in it, but do you really need to do a, a 360 degree review of all of your existing contracts with providers? I think maybe not all, maybe not the janitorial service though there should be a privacy provision in there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, I can't yeah. help myself. No, it's true. No, it's true. But I do think, you know, if you have a vendor that you're working with where you are sharing consumer data, those are the ones. Those are the ones you got to put a deep, deep dive into and with a new optic. This stuff's all coming. Ideally, there's some federal legislation that's going to come into play. We've got a lot going on in D.C. at this point. You know, I don't necessarily see that on the immediate horizon. Midterms, there's lots of stuff going on. We all know what's going on. But I do think you need to be very, very thoughtful. And Mary, to your point, those are kind of go through your, your vendor pool, because I'm sure you have some type of tracking mechanism for your vendors. And they should be in some level of priority. They should also be in some type of risk priority, in my perception, because who's man, you know, High risk is somebody that's managing data that you send them. That's a high risk. So you want to look at those, in my mind. Action item two. There you go. That'd be where you start. Okay, good. We talked about the GLBA compliant privacy policies that they're issuing, usually at the time of commitment. Do they need to review those? Are those still good? Is there any action item to be done around those? You know, I, I always get a little concerned when we've got something that's old 
right? So GOBA is out there since 99. And obviously you're issuing your GOBA privacy notice. It's part of your process. It happens. Don't get a lot of questions on it, probably. But it is something you should, you should actually review every year. And if you have affiliated businesses and what's listed on who you may share with, make sure that that's current. Maybe one of the businesses you don't own anymore or you don't have a relationship with. And then clearly make sure the broad categories at the top, the type of information that we share, the type of information we collect, has that changed? One of the things when you look at all these state privacy laws, one of the things that keeps coming up is biometrics. We don't do a lot as settlement providers, but those things are creeping into some of the more technical platforms that are out there. So yeah, what is that Yeah, certainly if you're doing online closings. You're doing online closings. There could be facial recognition software running that you may or may not be aware of, voice recognition software. All your banks run voice recognition software. I'm sure you've read those disclosures from your own personal banks. Oh, sure. Yeah. (laughs) Who hasn't? I mean, who among us hasn't? Yeah. So because of a moving landscape, it's always good practice to review those, at least on an annual basis. All right. And you also said for people to check the privacy notice that they have on their website. I think we see many title agents who have a wonderful website all about their business and we don't have any privacy notice on there. So is that something you recommend that they revisit? They should definitely have a privacy notice. And and most, if you look at most companies or if you looked at our website, you'll see at the, you know, you scroll to the bottom and there, you know, copyright stuff and sitemap, and then there's a privacy link. And that then opens up your internet privacy policy, which talks similarly to what GOBA does, but it's a little different. There's usually a pop-up on most websites these days that ask, have you read our policy except or not? And that we're using some type of Google Analytics as an example. So we may capture some very minor data, which wouldn't necessarily be NPI, but we're collecting something on you so we can en- enhance your your user experience on our website, those types of things. I can tell you our pop-up, when you land on our privacy page, we capture certain things. Do you agree? Not. And right below it says, we don't sell your data. Just to make it as bright and shiny as we possibly can, because it's it's something we're very proud of, and we want to make sure that our customers that use our company know that that's not the case. We don't sell data. But it's very, very important. Just like your GOBA notice, you need to be doing that annually. If you're subject to CCPA, and California is an example, you have to do it annually. It's just the best practice. But that's, I think you've got a pretty good punch list there, Mary. That sounds good. Well, I know it's it's a tricky landscape to navigate, yet we need to do it. And I love your golden rule mindset on it, which is think about you as a consumer. Think about the things that you opt in voluntarily or even with a grumble. And you can make that decision for yourself. We cannot make that decision on behalf of other consumers. And so if we're opting them into something, we need them to opt in. And you have to be so careful, I think, to make sure that you don't inadvertently, you go, I'm not selling data. I I don't get a check for the data I sell, but you might be giving someone else rights to it. And you as an entity cannot do that. It is the consumer's data and they need to 
decide, and in order to decide, you have to disclose. Have I said that right, or would you amend that at all? No, I think that's a, that's a very good summary statement on that. And all of these are about consumer disclosures. And if something's going on where data is kind of leaking out the back door and the consumer doesn't know it, it's not a good day. State AG can come looking around, lurking around. The Department of Insurance may come looking around. And there's also folks out there called plaintiff attorneys looking for low-hanging fruit, come knocking at your door for some money. And none of us want to be subject to those. And there's a lot of simple things you can do to not be on that low-hanging fruit for the plaintiff bar. Yeah. Well, Steve, we really appreciate this. I know that it's not the most lighthearted, fun message to deliver, but keeping our folks on the right side of of things, which is where they always want to be, keeping their nose clean, helping them get things right is invaluable. They look to us for help with that. You have provided a lot of great insight today. And so for that, we are very grateful. Oh, thank you, Mary. This has been a real pleasure. Steve, thank you for shedding light for us on this timely and sensitive topic. We do appreciate your being out there on the front lines of this issue, monitoring these pieces of legislation in the different states, and helping everyone know how to think about the data they hold in their shops. Listeners, if you'd like to visit with Steve about what's going on in your state, you can find him on LinkedIn, which is also linked in the show notes for today's episode. He's obviously very dialed into what's going on out there and might very well be able to help you shape your state's legislation. Alta also has some great resources, and we've linked those for you, too, in today's show notes. Everyone, I know the everyday stakes in our business seem to be just ever-increasing, and it can start to feel rather tedious. But don't let alert fatigue set in, because we will keep bringing you experts who will help you tool up for vigilance. Until next time, Treat your consumer's data even more respectfully than you would expect someone else to treat your own. If you can, advocate for strong consumer data protection requirements in your state and for robust national consumer data rights legislation. Let's try to keep from having some 50-state patchwork quilt of regulations to comply with. In all things, keep doing what you can. Excel in what you must and never let circumstances cause you to forget that what you do really matters.